This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Welcome to Church of the Harvest. We, we're just a family of Christ followers. The Lord brought us together. We recognize that we're stronger together than we are individually. And so we have chosen to link arms and to do life together and to accomplish the Lord's purposes in the earth together. We, do, we gather together throughout the community in small groups uh, all week long. But how many of you still love coming together on Sunday and worshiping the Lord together corporately? There's something about it that we are missing when we don't come together corporately. At Harvest, we are just a small expression of the body of Christ. I am so glad the body of Christ is huge. It's far-reaching, and we are just a small expression of the body of Christ, but we love God. And because we love God, we love people, and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is the vision of Harvest? The vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. One of our primary metrics for, for measuring how we're doing and determining the success of that vision is whether or not people are coming to Jesus, whether or not people are being touched with the love of Jesus. Because how many of you know that if we are truly growing and equipping followers of Jesus, they're going to be making growing and equipping followers of Jesus as well because disciples reproduce disciples. So that's a great metric for us to use. We're currently talking about our identity and our responsibility in the body of Christ, in the family of God. I'm talking about people who have repented and turned from their sin and embraced the lordship of Jesus in their life. And, and you know, the world today is, things are moving quickly. Things are shifting and shaking and moving. But, but the good news, I say this almost every week, guys, we are not of this world, Right? And we serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has equipped us with the word of God, which never, ever changes. So the good news is we don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be moved. No matter what it is that happens, no matter what we encounter, what we face, we have been equipped with everything we need to stand firm. Amen? So, last week... Uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we started a series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we talked about how when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome. And the Holy Spirit moved on his heart to write to the church in Ephesus. And, and we talked about how in many, of the, in many of the epistles, he's writing to address problems. Problems in the church, problems in a person, whatever it may be. But the book of Ephesians is not like that. He's not addressing a problem. He's writing to the body of Christ and, and he's, in, he's reminding them and, and encouraging, encouraging them, reinforcing in them who they are in Christ. And then we talked about how it's six chapters long, and that's really what the first three chapters are. It's all about who they are in Christ. But those last three chapters, it's really cool because he takes that truth, and, and it's all about the practical applications of that truth in their everyday life. How many of you know, even once we receive Jesus, we still have, we're still living in a world that, uh, that, that is not our home. We still have to pay the bills. We have to go to work. We have responsibilities and things to do. But the truth of God's word applies to how we act and we react even in those situations. Amen? So he's writing this letter. We talked about how he was writing this letter to the saints. And, and, and so last week, we only, covered the, we only covered the first two verses last week, and I, I told you that I was wanting to get through the rest of the chapter this week, and some of y'all told me it would never happen, and you're right, it's not going to happen. Um, but uh, we, we, we will cover a little bit more. We're not going to finish it. But we talked about how Paul, what does Paul's name mean? 
Small. His name means little. It means small. He may have been small in stature. He may have been a very humble man. He may have been in the natural. He may have, there may have been nothing to write home about when you, you looked at Paul. But we know that he was great in God. And he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So he's writing this letter to the saints. Who are saints? Saints are holy ones, anointed. They're sanctified. They're set apart. He's writing this letter to the saints who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. But, but not just any saints. He said that he was writing to the what? Faithful saints. The faithful saints. Those who were devoted to serving the Lord with their lives. Those who were all in. And so he opens this letter, as we talked about last week, after he kind of introduces himself and who he's writing to. In verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about how we have to understand God's grace before we can receive his peace in our lives. So anyway, today we're continuing on as Paul talks about the Father's plan for mankind. And so we're going to actually, I'm going to, if you, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. If uh, the scriptures will be on the screen, as I said last week, I'm, I'm going to be mainly reading from the New King James Version. I will jump around uh, for some supporting scriptures. But uh, also, if you are using the Version Bible app, you can jump on there uh, on your phone or mobile device, hit more and hit events, and the notes will pop up there, and you can, uh, you can follow along as well. So, let's read, I'm actually going to read the next 12 verses. You guys hang with me for a minute. I, I want to show you a couple things in this, all right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This is how Paul begins. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as his sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. That's a mouthful. Next verse, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And he has made, he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we have also obtained the inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you have trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory." Holy smokes, what all did he just say right there? I, 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 guys, that was four sentences in the King James Version, in the New King James Version. Uh, but I will tell you this, something that I didn't realize until a couple of weeks ago. This was translated from the Greek. All the original writings, manuscripts of this is in the Greek. In the Greek, this is one sentence. It's one thought. No pauses, no breaks. I think we need to break it down because <laughs> there is a lot there. We're not going to cover all this this week, okay? 
We're going to finish it next week. But what did he just say? My goodness. So, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, these verses discuss God's plan for us before the foundations of the earth. That's what he says right at the beginning of this. And I, I know it's hard to imagine this, but before creation, before space, before the universe, before angels, or any of that was created, God had already, he had already formulated the plan of redemption for mankind, along with all of its gifts and promises and rewards. It was all formulated before anything that we know ever existed. If you really think about it, billions of years ago before creation, long before the earth, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father, remember how I talked about the Father always formulates the plan? He's always the one with the plan. Jesus executes the plan. The Holy Spirit reveals the plan. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. God the Father had the plan. The plan was settled. How many of you know the Father's plan is always complete and perfect in every way? Now, we can jack up the plan. (laughs) But he still has a plan that he weaves through that that is perfect. He didn't need second opinions. He didn't need any help. His plan was complete and perfect before the foundations of the earth. It was settled, it was strong, it was eternal, just as he is eternal, right? Another thing I want you to notice before we jump on into verse 3 and start breaking it down, I want you to notice that everything that's mentioned in this, and, and Ms. Kim, as I, or Elijah, as I mention all this, you can put the verses back up that we just talked about in, in kind of in the order that I mentioned them on, on the screen. But if you go back, um, we'll go back to verse 3 first. If you notice everything that God mentions that he did for us, every last bit of it is mentioned in the past tense. It's complete. So in verse 3, it's talking about blessed be God the Father. In verse 3, it says, who has blessed us? Verse 4, it says, just as he chose us in him. Past tense, right? Verse 5, having predestined, see the E-D on the end? Predestined us, past tense. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. There you go, verse 7, yep. Verse verse 8, which he made past tense, to abound toward us. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, for you were sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise. And then verse 14, talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's pretty cool to me, guys. It's all past tense. It's all done. And it was established before we were ever created. It's really cool to think about these things, that before the foundation of the world, he did all this for us because of his great love for us. When we think, well, how in the world could he do all these things for us when we weren't even here? How can you give somebody something that wasn't born? Somebody, some, give a person something when they're not even born yet. Well, see, what God did is he, he took all these promises, all these things that he did for us, and he entrusted it all in Jesus. It was placed into Jesus, into his care. He held on to all these things that were ours. Jesus held them until the day of our redemption, until the resurrection. If you look at it, going back again real quick, just a few verses. Verse 4, it says, just as he chose us, in him 
I'm about Jesus. In verse 5, it says, having predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, by which he, capital H, is talking about Jesus here, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus held on to all these promises until our day of redemption. And then they were made available to us. So all these things were done for us before the foundation of the earth and was entrusted to Jesus and to delivered to mankind through the resurrection. Every blessing, every promise that we have is because of and through Jesus. Amen? They come from the Father through Jesus. By the way, you know it goes the other way as well? When we bless God, you realize it goes through Jesus? to the Father. It's kind of cool. The Bible talks about how he's our high priest. He's our mediator. A righteous man, righteous God and fallen man become one through the Son. Why would God choose to do all these things instead of for us before the foundations of the world instead of waiting for us to be here? Well, a perfect God with a perfect plan didn't need man's help. How many of you know a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? If any part of the Father's plan from the beginning had been dependent on us, you would have been the weakest link. I would have been the weakest link, right? He loved us desperately. He didn't need or want our help or assistance in this. He knew that he was the only one that could make this happen. He knew that we would jack it all up. So he took care of it all from beginning to end. And so we accept him as the author and finisher of our faith, and he is our all in all. Does that make sense? And because of that, he is always the only one worthy of praise and glory and honor, right? We can't take any credit for it. Amen? I mean, guys, and you think about it, have you ever tried to help God? Maybe you were standing and believing for something, standing on a promise or a word that was given to you or whatever it may be, standing and believing, but you wait and wait and it doesn't happen in the time you expected it to happen. It doesn't come in the way you expected it to come. So you start thinking real hard and you formulate a plan to help God out. Has that ever gone well? Remember God promising Abraham and Sarah, baby, you're going to have a son? Years go by and they start thinking, well... Maybe Abraham would just, should just sleep with Sarah's servant. Yeah. Speed things along. God's like, no. No. Don't need your help, right? So, we need to trust God. We need to let go and let God, right? So let's break it down. Starting in verse 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He starts this by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I love how he starts this. It's really, this is really just a simple praise to God, y'all. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, we, we bless him because he blessed us. He's the one that took initiative in this relationship. We responded. We praise him for what he's done, and our worship recognizes him for who he is as our Heavenly Father. And it says, he, and you can, yeah, you can just leave that verse on the screen. It says, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, why, why in heavenly places? 
I think there's a number of reasons for that. Well, I mean, when, number one, when he blessed us with all these things that Paul's mentioning, there was no creation yet, right? I couldn't say if you live in Olive Branch, wouldn't say bless you with all spiritual blessings in Olive Branch, Mississippi. There was no creation. There was nothing. There was only the Spirit. The only type of blessing that he could give us, and really the only blessing we really needed, was spiritual. And even now, spiritual blessing is what we need first. When he blessed us, he could see through time that we were lost and dead in our sin. He very much recognized that this was a spiritual problem. They could only be solved in a spiritual way. He recognized that the real issue that needed to be dealt with was spiritual death. But also understand, guys, that without the spiritual blessings, there is no natural blessings. Right? The physical world, you guys realize that the physical world was made, created as a mirror of the spirit world? I mean, when you think about it, the earth was created with majesty and beauty, and it was a reflection of heaven and eternity in God's presence. Now, we, we jack up and distort that image a bit as, as human beings. But everything physical was created in the spiritual, right? So the source of all of our blessings, whether they're physical or whether they're spiritual, originate in the spirit. And they all come from him. So it says, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So again, he chose us before the foundations of the earth. You guys know that God is eternal. He's always existed and he always will. How many of you know time is not an issue with God? It's not a problem. It's not a concern. Sometimes we recognize that in our life. <laughs> when things don't happen in the time we expect them to happen in. It's not that he's late. Not at all. Yeah, I, I, I saw something from a little different perspective this week. I hadn't really thought of it before. You know how we talk about God being omnipresent? He's everywhere at the same time, right? I would present to you that it's so far beyond that. I would present to you that God is present Everywhere, <laughs> all the time, for all time. That will mess with your head. If you have a problem, because he is present everywhere at the same time for all time, at the same time, however you look at it, he's already been there. You see this problem coming that you're worrying about? He's already there. Thus, he's already holding the answer. We're worked up and frustrated. He's already there. Does that make any sense? It's crazy for us not to trust him and think he doesn't have the answer. Understand, in the moment of redemption, when Jesus was on that cross, when, when he rose from the dead, God the Father was there, Right? At the same time, he was in 2020 with you last year. At the same time, he was right here with you in 2021 with whatever it is that you're facing in this life. He sees the whole picture and he is present in the whole picture all the time. He's looking down at the whole picture. He's present in all of it at once. Why in the world? What excuse do we have to worry? 
That's why he, he never has a plan B. He's never caught off guard. It's why he's never failed us. We need to trust him. And, and you realize, too, that worry is always about the future. We don't worry about the past. We're always worried about the future. Again, he's already there. We can literally sit back, take a deep breath, and trust him. We can't help him by worrying, right? Again, that scripture says, just as he chose us, the word chose us, it comes, chose us comes from a Greek word that means to call out. Did you know that before the foundations of the earth, he called out your name? It's what, he, it's what it just said. He called out your name, and you know what it says? He called you? He called you holy and without blame. Before the foundations of the earth, he could see you through eternity through Jesus. He said, you're holy, you're righteous. How many of you know we need to begin to see ourselves the way he sees us? Right now, God sees you as holy and without blame because you are in Christ. He sees you as holy and blameless through Jesus. Guys, I don't know if you recognize this, but you can't get more holy. Because when the Father looks upon it, it says he sees you as holy. When he looks at you and sees you as holy, do you recognize that that holiness is Jesus' holiness? When he sees you as righteous and blameless, is Jesus' righteousness? Can Jesus get more holy? Nope. Can Jesus get more righteous? We are just as holy and blameless in spirit as Jesus himself. Why? Because it's his holiness. It's his blamelessness that the Father sees. Now, some people are saying, now, wait a minute. Okay, look, guys, I'm not condoning sin, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about the natural. Listen, even after you're in Christ, we will suffer the consequences of even our future sin while we're in the earth. Amen? Uh, we're going to jack it up, and we are going to suffer the consequences of it in this life, right? I'm not talking about eternity. In eternity, you are holy and blameless. But in this life, when we mess up, we still suffer the consequences of it, right? But here's the thing. You don't have to feel shame and defeat. Repent. Make things right. Yes, there may be some consequences. Make them right. Do it. Take care of it. And move on. Knowing that the Father sees you as holy and blameless. Don't hold on to shame. You're free. Does this make sense? Some of y'all are looking at me. And just like, Guys, we've got it all. So if you're in Christ, you're holy and without blame. Even when you totally miss it, you're holy and without blame. Verse 5. I put the words... In love here, I'll tell you about that in a second. In love, having predestined us to adoption as his sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I added the words in love because many theologians agree that verse 5 actually, the, remember this is one thought in the Greek. Many of the versions stop verse 4, the last two words of verse 4 is in love. They, many believe that it was actually supposed to be tagged on to verse 5. 
and that it's more of a, the thought of, of verse 5. In love, having predestined us to adoption. You'll find that in the, in the New American Standard version, a few other ones like that, where they actually have, have moved that over uh, to that. But in love, having predestined us to adoption as his sons. Predestination. Lord Jesus, help us. What a misunderstood subject. Guys, people get in arguments over this. And uh, the first thing I would say is relax. The Greek word for predestination is prorizo. And it means to pre-design or pre-ordain. A lot of versions, a lot of translations don't even use the word predestination. Some people teach that you're predestined. Some are predestined to go to heaven and some are not. Guys, they use a few scriptures that do not line up with the word of God. A few, they, they, they take a few scriptures out and to, to try to support that, and I, I just don't see any way it lines up with God's word. Here's the thing. This, even if we use the word predestined, predestination here, it does not mean that God planned your life out and that you have no choice and no say in the matter. Doesn't mean that. Let me, let me, look, do you guys realize that to God the Father, his will is important to himself? He values his will. He would not give up his will. He values your will just as much. We were created in his image. Even if your will is contrary to his, he will not violate our will. The Bible is, I feel like the Bible is very clear about that. So, our will is precious to God. He doesn't touch it because it's ours. He gave it to us. So, I don't want to confuse things, but I want you to understand the way that I kind of saw this this week. If we're going to use the word predestination, that's fine. But your will is the foundation for your predestination. I'll explain that. Your will is the foundation for your predestination. I want to show you a couple things. Oh, and by the way, with everything we've talked about, about God being present in all time at the same time, obviously he has foreknowledge of our lives, right? This is another argument that gets mixed up in predestination. Look at Romans 8, 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Guys, that to me kind of explains it all right there. But let me read it to you from the New Living. I love the way they, they did this in the New Living. It says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son. Now, guys, only believers are pre-designed, pre-ordained, predestined, not unbelievers. Remember, Paul was writing these words about these promises to the faithful saints, right? As believers, <laughs> I, I, guys, I felt like the Lord gave me this the other day. Listen to this. As believers, we are predestined through the Father's foreknowledge of our willing choice to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I'm going to say it again, okay? 
As believers, we are predestined through the Father's foreknowledge of our willing choice to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Before the foundations of the earth, again, the Father looked through eternity. He saw you dead and lost in your sin. We were all there at one point. So what did he do? He sent Jesus to die for your redemption. You know what else the Father saw through eternity? He saw somebody come to you and present you with the gospel. You know what else he saw? He saw you willingly repent and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Thus, he saw you through Jesus and he called you holy and blameless. Does that make sense? Trying to simplify this brain tangle of a predestination, whatever. With that, there was a plan that was predestined before the foundations of the earth that was set in motion. But your choice is what makes it the reality. It made it, your choice is what made it reality before the foundations of the earth. I hope I'm not losing y'all. And I want to say this too before we move on to the next verse. And even after your salvation, your will is still just as important to the Father. Just because a will, just because a plan is set in motion for your life and you were predestined before the foundation of the earth and he saw you surrender your life to Jesus, that doesn't mean that now your will is out the window. No, it's not. You still have a will and God still values that will. For 2 Peter 1.4 says, For by these he also granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Listen, look at this. So that by them you may become partakers of the, of the divine nature. By them you may become partakers. Does this sound like something forced? Does this sound like something that you don't have a choice in? No, it's your choice. After surrendering to the lordship of Jesus, you have access to great and magnificent promises in your life. So that by them, you may partake. Partaking is an action. That's our part. It's an act of your will. We suddenly have all these promises and all this empowerment, but if we don't take them up, if we don't partake, then it's nothing more than potential. We have to choose to pick them up. we got to choose to believe. Verse 5 really just reiterates God's plan for his children. Again, Romans 8, 29, it said, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son. What did he foreknew? He knew that you would choose Jesus, and through him, you would be holy and blameless. And why did he predestine us? Look at the end of verse 5. Back to Ephesians 1 verse 5. Just read it again. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good, good pleasure of his will. It was his will. It was a choice. He loved you and he wanted you. He didn't feel sorry for us. It wasn't about feeling pity for us. He wasn't forced or coerced. He made a choice as well. He chose to love us and come up and, and, and put in action this divine plan. Verse 6, Ephesians 1, verse 6. To the praise 
of his voice. So this was according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Again, God's grace is mentioned. Grace is, God's grace is not something that God does or God just gives. It, it, it's more his divine nature. It's who he is. He is grace. And his grace is always dependent on who he is. It has nothing to do with who we are. His grace causes him to bless us, not because of our merits, but because of Jesus' merits when we've surrendered to his lordship. And because of this, again, all praise and glory will always be his. We aren't the originator of grace and blessing. It all comes from him. We're simply, we are simply the receivers of it. As human beings, is what we do best. <laughs> Give up, surrender, and receive. Right? And praise his name because grace abounded toward us, accepted through Jesus and to the beloved. How many of you know that we can never be good enough in the natural to be pleasing to God? But Jesus did. Throughout his entire lifetime, he pleased the Father, and we're in him. Thus, we are accepted by the Father through the Son. Next verse, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. So everything that we have, all blessing, all promises, forgiveness, redemption, it all only comes through Jesus. What does redemption mean? Redeem means to buy back, right? So you guys know how this went down, right? Because of Adam and Eve's sin, Man was separated from a holy God, right? We were separated from the Father. We became spiritually dead. Wages of sin is death. It's slavery. And as mankind, we did not have the resources to free ourselves from this slavery. Correct? Leviticus tells us that it is blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so, Jesus lived that perfect life, pleasing to God. He gave his life, pouring out his blood, that we might have redemption and forgiveness, right? And here's the thing. We know that Adam and Eve, through their choice, they became slaves. They became slaves to sin, to the curse of sin. You realize, again, it was a willing choice. They willingly made the choice that made them slaves. As Adam and Eve's offspring, we were born slaves to sin, right? If a slave has a baby, what is it? <laughs> it's a slave, right? That's the way it works. Uh, a slave can't free a slave. If you're a slave, you can't go, you know what? I'm done being a slave. I'm going to go to college and make something of myself. Doesn't work that way, right? It takes a free person to free a slave. A slave can't free themselves. Since Adam, only one man has ever been born into the earth that was not a slave. And that was Jesus, right? Through the virgin birth, he was born free of the sin nature, the penalty of sin, the curse. Thus, he's the only person qualified to buy us back, right? Once we're redeemed, we're forgiven of Adam and Eve's sin and every sin that we have ever committed. And in verse 7, it says, we are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Do you guys realize that, while unfortunately it won't happen, but if every human being on the face of the earth surrendered to the lordship of Jesus and received from his grace, there would still be an abundance of grace left over. It could never be expended. The riches of his grace. 
There's no sin that we have ever committed that he cannot or would not forgive. Except rejecting the lordship of Jesus. And that's only because that's the only way redemption can come. Right? He will say, well, my sin is so huge, you just don't understand. Then what you're saying is, your sin is greater than God's grace. That's a pretty arrogant statement for us to say as human beings. Some people beat themselves up because they think they've done something so carnal that God can never forgive them. Repent. Surrender. It's a lie of the enemy. After you repent and make things right, silence those salts. Remind yourself what God's word says. Remind the enemy what God's word says. That you are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8. We'll end with this one. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Again, talking about grace. His grace abounding toward us. Abound means to present in great number or quantity. Again, man receives what we don't deserve. That's, that's what grace is, guys. We receive what we don't deserve from a loving God. Grace, the Bible tells us that God's grace abounds toward us in everything that pertains to life and godliness, right? Everything that we need in our natural life, everything that we need in our spiritual life, it's already given to us by the Father through Jesus before the foundations of the earth. Not only does he give us natural and spiritual blessings, how many of you know he gives us the ability to supernaturally flow every day in every practical situation? He gives us wisdom. He gives us prudence. Prudence means good sense. We could use some more good sense today. He gives us wisdom and good sense. And really both of these are byproducts of, they're the fruit of the spirit. This is a byproduct of the spirit-filled life. Wisdom and prudence. How many of you know that you can have knowledge and not wisdom, right? You ever know anybody that was really smart and make terrible decisions with their life? Man, they know a lot. Knowledge, knowledge comes in. Wisdom is what should come out. Um, really, really, wisdom is just the correct application of knowledge. Remember how we talked about being a hearer of the word and being a doer of the word? We, we got to be hearers. We got to be hearers first. We need knowledge. We, we got to have knowledge. We have to know the word of God. And then that, again, that's our part. I like talking about the responsibilities we have in, 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 in Christ. He won't do this part for us. We have to be diligent. But as we do our part, he promises to help us put what we have learned into action through wisdom. And you guys know James 1.5 says, if anybody, asks, lacks, <laughs> asks, if anybody lacks wisdom, what should they do? Ask. What about if anybody lacks knowledge? What do they do? No, they don't. They read the word. <laughs> Some of y'all said ask. It doesn't say if you want knowledge, ask. No. He gave to you before you asked. He gave you the word of God. Get an word of God yourself. As you're doing so, if you realize you're lacking wisdom, even if you don't realize you're lacking wisdom, maybe even more so, Lord, give me wisdom. 
I'm asking for wisdom. Your word promises it. And I take hold of that. Ask for wisdom. But not only does he promise to give us wisdom, he promises to give us prudence, good sense. A lot of people not praying for that today. Guys, as Christians, you know, I, I was thinking, I was looking at the life of Jesus and I just, as we emulate him, I just think that as Christians, we should make more sense than anybody else in the world. We should be so full of the word and the spirit of God that the world stands in awe at the simplicity of our answers to the world's dilemmas. That's what we see with Jesus. Somebody asked him a question, he'd answer like three words, and everybody would be like, oh, it's so simple. We're full of that same spirit. We've got the same word. He is the word, and he's within us. Instead, we're running our mouths and making people mad because it's not the word that's coming out. It's our opinions and feelings. Not a lot of good sense these days. Guys, I believe that we should be, in, we should be confessing Ephesians 1.8 over our life every single day. It's still, yeah, it's still on the screen. Every single day, guys, tell yourself, God and his grace is abounding toward me today with all wisdom and good sense for each and every situation and circumstance that I will encounter today in Jesus' name. Confess it over yourself. And how do you know that there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper when you are armed with the truth of God's word? Speak it. Say it over your life. Because this is who you are. Amen? I told you I wouldn't get through the chapter. We're going to keep going with it next week. We're gonna, we'll, continue, we'll continue in verse 9. You guys seeing some things here? This should show you God's grace and his mercy and his love. He, I mean, truly getting this concept that he knew you, not just before you were in your mother's womb, but before the foundations of the earth. He knew you and he loved you. You were precious in his sight. As a follower of Christ, he saw you holy, righteous, blameless before him. Guys, is that encouraging? I hope it is. I hope it fuels you to follow after him, to seek after him a little bit harder every day as we go forth into the world, into every situation, and as we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's stand up together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we close. Guys, can you guys continue digging in to, to Ephesians? There is so much more here. Again, like last week, I had about 15 pages of notes earlier in the week, and uh, had, to, had to cut that down a little bit and then decided that, you know what, I just need to slow down. We need to take this a little bit slower because there is so much there and there's so much more than we've talked about this morning. But guys, if you can just get just some of these concepts we talked about this morning, you'll recognize how precious you are to Father. You'll recognize that there is no need to worry or fret or fear. And let me tell you what, in the midst of days like we're living in today, just being bold and confident is a witness. Because people are cowered. They're cowered down in fear. We don't have to be. We weren't called to be. 
It's not our job to carry those things. We have a loving God who took those things for us and promised us that he's already there ahead at the problem. Those things that we're concerned about, he's already there. He's already got the solution. Hang on and trust him. You're going to see everything work together for your good. Makes that makes that verse come alive too. <laughs> All things will work together for your good. Because he's already been there. He's already paved the way. He's already taken care of it. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Guys, very frank. We read about all these things. It inspires us to hear about a father that loves us so desperately. It inspires us to hear that we've, that we've got a purpose. We, we live in a world that tells us we're a cosmic accident. But we read here in Ephesians and we understand that, that, that the father before the foundations of the earth, he had a plan for our life that we would live with purpose. It's, it's inspiring. But to be real blunt, if you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, it doesn't apply to you. It just doesn't, guys. I know it's not a popular message in the world today. I, that was really on my heart last night. I did the funeral for Steve Dietz's wife and something I said, I said, unfortunately, that statement is, that statement that Jesus is the way is so unpopular in our society today. It's like, oh. And I thought, how American does that sound of us? Like we, we talk about first world problems. I can't believe there's only one way. I want two ways. I want three ways to the Father. I want my own way to the Father. Why can't I have my own way? It only seems fair that I can have my own way. A loving God gave everything to make a way. And we're complaining that there's not another. Give me a stinking break. Wow. Imagine how that makes him feel. Sorry, y'all bow your heads. <laughs> if you're here and you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, you don't know these promises. You don't know this grace. You don't know this peace. But you can today. And I would invite you to surrender. You repent, you turn from your way of living. You, return, you repent from living your own way for your own self, for your own selfish desires. And you say, Lord, I'm with you from now on to the end. I lay my life down before you. You ask him to forgive you. And you choose to follow him. And when you do that, it sounds like you're giving up a whole lot. Really what you're doing is you're stepping into your purpose. You're stepping into your destiny. You're stepping into what he's called you to. You're, you're not losing. You're, you're losing things that don't matter. And you're gaining everything. Man, we can put a terrible spin on awesome things. <laughs> if that's you. That's what the Bible says. It says repent. That means not just saying sorry. It means I'm turning from my sin. And confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Believing he's a son of God. That he went to that cross for you. And he was raised from the dead. We're going to pray a prayer. I encourage you, if that's you, just position your heart. And surrender to him. 
with every head bowed. Is there, is there anybody in here that would just say, I, I, I really need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today? Come on, guys, boldly. Anybody? Just lift your hand up in the air. Wave at me, something. Anybody online? If you're watching online and, and you haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, whether you're watching today or next week or next year, it doesn't matter. Same God. He, he's already there. Wherever you may be, wherever you may be watching from, whenever it is, this is your moment. I encourage you to surrender your heart now and just pray a prayer, something like this. this is, Heavenly Father, I recognize I am lost in my sin. I've tried living life for myself, but I'm an utter failure. I recognize that I'm dead in my sin. But today I make a change. I ask you to forgive me of my sin for all the ways I live my life that have not pleased and honored you. I repent of those things now and I turn from them, turn from them. I put them behind me from this day forward in Jesus' name. And I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you took my sin and my shame and my guilt, my even my sickness and disease. You took it to that cross. You became my sacrificial lamb. And you took all that junk to the grave. But the grave couldn't hold you. And I believe that on that third day, you rose. And you are now seated next to the Father as my high priest, as my advocate, as my mediator. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Savior, to be my Lord from this day forward. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I choose to step into my purpose and I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.